Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 64, He Shall Raise Up an Ensign. Welcome. Welcome to Sister Scriptorians. I'm excited to chat with you today. There's so much value to be found in the Book of Mormon. And each week, I'm blown away by the guidance, the magnitude of the guidance that the scriptures contain and that we can benefit from if we just slow down and ponder them. If we learn, liken, and then allow them to lift us by just changing our behavior a bit. I hope that once you have benefited from the upliftment, if that's even a word, upliftment, I don't know where I'll go with it, but once you have benefited, I hope that you are then extending yourself and you're lifting others, that you're sharing the same goodness that has changed you for the better. I appreciate the value that you have placed in this podcast, and I want to say thank you. During the month of June, I will take the names of those who have left Sister Scriptorians a review on iTunes, and I'm going to put them into a drawing that will be done in July. So you have the whole month of June, and I have a Book of Mormon journal that I would love to send to you as a thank you, and also for a way for you to capture the inspiration that you receive when you read the Book of Mormon. So go to your computer, your iPad, or your phone and scroll down through the episodes until you get to the section called Ratings and Reviews. You'll see some stars there and you'll also see a link called Write a Review. Click on that and let us know your opinion about the Sister Scriptorians podcast. Okay, here we are again. (laughs) We are learning from our friend Isaiah. The first 12 chapters of Isaiah contain a common theme, and that theme is about the building up of Zion. Already in our in the last few weeks, we have been given the invitation to walk in the light of the Lord and to turn away from our wickedness. We have paused to see what our countenance is witnessing. Is it witnessing against us or is it reflecting the spirit? And we've been invited to turn away from our pride or to embrace modesty. And I mean in the full sense of the word. We've been promised that doing these things and becoming a part of Zion will bring us to the blessing of the Lord. And that blessing is creating upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies, a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory of Zion shall be a defense. And that is beautiful. That says to me, not only defense and protection, but continual light, continual guidance and inspiration or revelation coming unto us from the Lord. Second Nephi chapter 15, which covers Isaiah chapter 5, gives us further insight into what deterioration would occur and did occur and how it would be necessary for Zion to be built up. 
The house of Israel in this chapter is referred to a vineyard, but not just any vineyard. It is a vineyard made up of a choice vine, and this vine has been set up to thrive. It is located in a very fruitful hill, perfect for conditions for abundance and goodness. And its master, the Lord, has fenced it, and he's gathered out the stones, and he's built a tower in the midst of it, and also has made a wine press within the vineyard as well. Everything was set. All that was left was for the vine to thrive and to bear forth its fruit. But when the vine did bear fruit, instead of sweet-tasting grapes, the vine produced wild grapes. What was to be done? It had been placed in the best spot, providing it a foundation to thrive. And the wine press even, well, isn't that a sign of expectation, of expected prosperity that had been built in its midst? It was ready. It was ready to transform the fruit into something more. Yet none of it could become more. None of it could be used. All of the grapes were wild. So, The Lord decided that what was to be done with the vineyard was for him essentially to withdraw. The hedges were taken down, leaving the vineyard vulnerable to intruders. And the wall was broken down, leaving the vineyard vulnerable to those who would trample upon it. The Lord stopped pruning or digging it. He stopped cultivating it and instead he let the vineyard go to waste. And so the vineyard was corrupted with briars and thorns that would choke the plant and push out any chances of its healthy growth. And this Lord, in verse 6, he shows his majesty and his power because he has the ability to even command the clouds that they rain no more rain upon the vineyard, leaving it without nourishment for its fruit, but also any relief from the heat of the sun. How had the house of Israel become wild? Better yet, what are the warning signs of a society that is making itself vulnerable because it is pushing out the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord is being removed? And why were the Lord's nourishments and protection removed? These verses from Isaiah are good examples on how the Lord cannot remain in the midst of his children if they reject his teachings and they choose to follow their own wisdom. Why why is pride such a huge stumbling block for us? This tripping up always begins with our misguided belief that we know better, doesn't it? It always begins there. And if you pay attention to the woes in this chapter, it sort of helps to, I don't know, break the chapter up a little bit where you can better understand what Isaiah is talking about. The first woe is talking about how the people had become greedy 
and they covet that which belonged to their neighbors. Israel had a law that, if honorably followed, enabled the people to receive equal distributions of the land. What a blessing such a law would give. It would give equal opportunity to all. Greed, however, provoked some to buy up or seize tremendous amounts of land that surrounded theirs, enlarging theirs, and squeezing out others until it was only them that occupied this large area of land. The scriptures say, Woe unto him that join house to house till there can be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. The consequence for such an action was many houses shall be desolate and great and fair cities without inhabitant. Yet another consequence of coveting what others possess and then pushing them out is that the land began to produce less over time. Isn't that interesting? So what I'm hearing is a violation of the Creator's law resulted in less production of His creations. Hmm. Do we covet today? To covet is to break one of the Ten Commandments. So I ask you, can anything good come out of coveting? Whatever you covet, there is some sort of reduction of happiness that comes. It's impossible to keep happiness if we're breaking one of God's commandments. Whether by engaging in comparison, jealousy, obsession, spending beyond our means, overlooking our worth and contributions, or overlooking the blessings we have been given, we are always left at a deficit when we covet. When we who have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we covet, we are rejecting the mercies that he has given to us because they are so personal. They are what he knows we need. And when we reject those, we are rejecting him. We are breaking down the walls that surround us that he has built to protect us, to keep us safe from being trampled on. We are the ones that break those walls down when we covet. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night and wine inflame them, and the harp and the viol The tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. This definitely describes riotous living. And I personally am not at risk of waking up each day and becoming intoxicated until night. That is not one of my challenges, but a challenge that I think that we can all probably identify with is the act of numbing out. Isn't that what riotous living is? We think it's living to the fullest, but really it's a numbing out. It's a pushing out of anything serious or anything impacting. And we can numb out with our busyness, numb out with other distractions, becoming intoxicated by anything that keeps us from giving regard to the work of the Lord. Anything that sets 
what we do above what he has done for us with his own hands. Being more impressed or making room for the things of the world, but not really appreciating him. This would crowd him out. This would prevent us from taking any of his nourishment. The creator knows what we need. And when we reject that, we then sign up to live a lesser version of ourselves. It just makes sense, doesn't it? We do become wild instead of sweet. And if we are rejecting him, what is he to do with us? Isaiah teaches that with this lack of regard for the Lord's work or consideration of the operation of his hands, the Lord's people go into captivity. All he desires for them is for them to have their liberty. Yet their ignoring of him brings them down into captivity. And how? Because they have no knowledge, Isaiah says. Their honorable men are famished. And what do honorable men desire? They desire to follow morals, ethics, principles, and to live with integrity. They are famished without wisdom and propriety, without civility and eternal truths to follow, and without people of honor. The multitude would dry up with thirst, thirsty for the truths that their souls know are out there, but are lacking. Without the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is of faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost, and enduring until we are back with Father, without the atonement, the priesthood power and authority, and temple ordinances and covenants, hell would then enlarge, just like Isaiah foretold. Quote, hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were with a cart rope. So the Institute Manual says that this refers to the Lord's people. And how they bind themselves to their sins. So that's what we're going to go with. Notice it isn't a forsaking or a moving away from or a rejecting of sin. But it's a wrapping ourselves up in the cords of vanity. Attaching ourselves to our sins instead of to God. And I'm sure that these are our justifications and our reasons. All the way to the point that we need a sign from God to get us to detach ourselves from them. So referring to verse 19, the people are saying, or tempting God really, let him make speed, hasten his work, that we may see it. When we see that he is near, then we will come unto him. I don't know. As I was trying to liken that scripture to us, this example came to my mind. Do we sometimes endanger ourselves around general conference time? Do we wait to see if the work is speeding up? Is the Lord hastening his work? And when we see it, then we'll make some necessary changes. Then our hearts will change. The scripture goes on to say, and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. 
What I hear from this scripture is prove it. And then we will have reason to hear. Yet, you know, you know, intellectually, we know this is never the arrangement that God makes with us. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Without the knowledge of God, without regard for his work and consideration of the operations of his hands, and then rejecting his law and holding tightly to our sins, this tips the tables on us, allowing confusion to take place and for good to be called evil and darkness to be mistaken as light. There is no place for God in such circumstances. And step by step, We can see through these scriptures, and I hope you can see within our own societies, that step by step we have scooted him out by casting away the law of the Lord of hosts and despising the word of the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah tells us that the anger of the Lord will be kindled against his people and his hands stretched forth against them. Destruction will come. Now, here is what I see, the beauty in what Isaiah is attempting to teach us. Of what this chapter has to do with building up Zion. Notice, everything that needed to take place in order for the anger of the Lord to be kindled against his people. Kindled means to arouse. A feeling of anger came up within God. And even though we are reading of a moment in which the anger of the Lord is aroused, notice what it took to get him there. He is a God that is slow to anger. Look at all of the offense that his children did in order for his anger to be kindled. And though his precious vineyard produced wild grapes, despite the nourishment and the privilege that it had been given, and though he stopped nourishing it and removed his power of protection from it, he was still merciful. How? Because though he withdrew himself from one group, he removed himself And he raised up another. Even while his anger was kindled, he outstretched his hand still to his children. And in mercy, he lifted up an ensign to the nations from far. And he hissed or he gave a signal for his children to come to that ensign. And he's going to gather them swiftly And those of the house of Israel that gather will not be weary, nor stumble among them. We follow a God who is not a respecter of persons. Where he must withdraw his spirit from one, he builds up an ensign or a standard somewhere else. He does not abandon us. He gives us all an opportunity to swiftly come unto him. And if you are tired and you are sore from your stumbling, come to him. Respond to his hiss that beckons you to his ensign, to his vineyard of good fruit. 
where his law is given and the people strive to live it, where his work is not only regarded, but it is valued, where his wisdom is sought after to know his ways and to consider the operation of his hands, where honorable men are fed the bread of life and the multitude drinks the everlasting water of the gospel of Jesus Christ where his people strive to untangle themselves from iniquity and move towards the good, the light, and the sweet. Come and renew yourselves in the ordinances of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, even in the church called by his name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Sister Scriptorians, this week ponder on the magnificent characteristics of God found in the chapters of Isaiah. He desires you to come unto him. He desires to lift you up. He desires to relieve you of your weariness and to stop your stumbling. Recommit to be a part of his vineyard. Always have a good day.